Matthew chapter 7 is where we're camping out this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Let me pray and uh, then we will read this verse. We're looking at verse 12 today and then uh, we will dive in to it. Let's begin with prayer. Father God, you are the God that we behold. Uh, We read in Revelation that uh, we will all fall down at, at the throne when that bloodied lamb appears in the midst of us. Uh, there is a time that is coming where th- that which we see will fade. The problems that are currently in front of us will be no more. The things that we're holding on to in life will be no more. All that will remain is you and what's been done for you. We will see Christ. We will see that bloodied lamb. And I believe, God, that in that moment, all, every, everything that we talk about here, every, uh, all the songs that we sing, the, the verses that we read and study, it will hit us. And, uh, and I think we will sing, Behold Our God. We will, we will see Christ And it will all make sense and we will say this is what we've been living for. This is what we've been longing for and forever and ever we will behold our God. God, give us a glimpse of that this morning. As we study your word, I I ask that you speak to us. Uh, Those who are uh, struggling this morning, that you calm them. Those who are doubting that you... Uh, that you work in their hearts and in their minds, those who are in sin, that you convict them, those who are uh, self-righteous and proud, that you humble them, and those who have been humbled, that you, that you comfort, that you build up, that you remind us that it is a kingdom for those who are spiritually bankrupt. God, speak to us through Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's read that verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Everybody uh, in your Bible, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. You can look at the table of contents and find the page number. And there you will find Matthew. And we are in chapter 7. We've been tracking through Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we are actually kind of rounding it out here. We have two sermons left today. And next week, and we will finish our study in, in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Today we're looking at just one verse. So we've been taking chunks. We've been taking sort of paragraphs and ideas and thoughts. This morning we're, we're doing what we haven't done yet, and we're camping in. We're, we're sort of rooting in on one particular verse. Because there's so much in this verse that speaks to the entire sermon and even the entire Bible and everything that we're about. So we're going to look at this and we're going to see how it, it, it speaks to us and we pray that it, that it will. My goal this morning is that we read this, what's known as the golden rule, and that we understand uh, the weight that this golden rule carries with it uh, and, and the freedom that we find through being crushed under that weight. So read it with me. Follow along as I read. Chapter 7, verse 12. It says this. 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now everyone likes that verse, right? Like, there's a lot of things in Christianity that are offensive. This isn't really one of them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We call this the golden rule, right? If, if I were to ask you guys, who knows what the golden rule is? Would you have known this verse right here? Do unto, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like it's kind of a universally known, universally loved, cherished idea. Do unto others, do unto your brother or sister as you would want them to do unto you. Everybody likes it. Um, there was a dude that I knew that was not a Christian, and he said, um, we, we were kind of talking about the faith, and he was like, I don't, I don't like Jesus. I don't, I don't like uh, the claims around him, but I do try to live my life according to the golden rule. Um, universally loved. Universally accepted. I like that idea, that concept. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why does everybody like this verse? Here's, here's, here's what I think. I think humanity as a whole, generally speaking, knows that this verse, this phrase, this, this statement, that it actually answers, or it at least gets to the core of the human problem. Like, I think everybody has a general sense as to why humans clash with each other, why individuals clash, why nations clash with each other. And I think we all, generally speaking, get the sense that it has something to do with not following that rule. Imagine how things would be different if individuals followed that rule all the time. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The, the, uh, the brother who's Whose, whose brother has just been shot and considering retaliation, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Retaliation would end. Violence would dry up. The, um, the father, the dad, who's, who's tired of the arguing, he's tired of his wife, tired of the strain that this family brings into his life, ready to walk out. And he says to himself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, do unto my wife, do unto my son as I, they would have, as I would have them do unto me if it were reversed. Listen, everybody would grow up with a dad. Nations, nation, world leaders, the President of the United States, the UN, Kim Jong-un. Like if we all asked ourselves and said to ourselves, do unto others as you would have them do. What do I want? Now I'm going to do for everybody else what I would want them to do for me. Peace would reign if we just followed this verse. So we all like it. It's universally accepted and, and loved as a very good thing. Do you see why humanity likes it? Do you see how just simply following this on a regular basis would actually change everything? <clears throat> Let's look at it. Let's dive into what it is. 
verse 12, right here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. There's basically Jesus' conclusion is all that's left. Verse 12, that first word right there, as we get into the golden rule, so. Everybody say so. So. That's another connecting word, like therefore. It actually could be translated therefore. It's a word that means um, with all of these things being so, and then a statement. It's a word that brings force to the statement that's about to be made. So, so what are all of these things that have been stated, which comes down the force like a wedge, which brings force to this conclusive statement, whatever you do to others, do, uh, whatever you want others to do to you, do, unto, do also to them. Tongue twister, wow. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Uh, turn your page back. I want to look at the beginning of the Sermon, sermon on the Mount. I want to see all of these things that have gone before, which have led us to this statement. So if we go to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, we see the Beatitudes. That first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Those who say, look, like I've got nothing to earn my way into heaven. Like I've got nothing, there's nothing good about me uh, that God should accept me. I am spiritually broken and bankrupt. Gateway into the Sermon on the Mount, gateway into the kingdom. Spiritual brokenness, leaning into Christ as our Savior, as our only hope. And then, verse uh, 13, he says, look, this is what I'm making you. Now that you've come in spiritually bankrupt, now I'm making you salt and light in this world. You are going to be the preservatives. You're going to make sense of this world. You're going to bring flavor to this world. And then right there in verse 17, he teaches on the law. He says, don't think, everybody, that I have come to get rid of the law. No, I haven't. The law still stands. But I have come, though, to fulfill the law. Meaning, I've come to fulfill the demands of the law, the requirements of the law, the requirements of perfection, that the law placed upon us, everything that the law did which condemned us, I've come to fulfill that, to live the law perfectly. All of the law, he says, now points to me. All of the Old Testament was about me. It was all looking at me. And also, I have complete authority over the law. So when Jesus teaches about the law, we listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. So from there, then, he goes into various commands through chapter 5, through the rest of chapter 6, and he essentially teaches us the spirit of the law. He teaches us the heart of God. He says this is, this is what it looks like to be obedient to God, to follow God's law. Then chapter 7 comes along, chapter 7 verse 1, and he sort of turns it. And he says, okay, now, lest some of you, in your pursuit of obedience to God, begin to look down on others who are not obeying as well as you do. You see where he's going? Pharisees, corner of his eye, don't become, by the way, judgmental through this whole thing. Be careful. Be aware of how judgmentalism, how Phariseeism can slip in in every situation of our spiritual walk. And then in sort of a parenthesis, we see verses 7 through 11, which is his return now back to prayer. Back to our utter dependency on 
God, our spiritual brokenness, our realization that if God doesn't walk with us, then we won't be walking. And so then ask, and this is a kingdom of reliance. It's a kingdom of utter dependence on God. Now, with all of that, like the weight on top of this wedge, it comes down with that word. Everybody say it. So. Everybody say so. Come on. So. With these things being so, Pharisees, corner of the eye, judgmentalism kind of hanging over our heads. Now, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law. You'll be measured as you measure it. Right, right. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Amen. <clears throat> there, be, before we get into sort of what Jesus means by this golden rule, do unto others as you would have, let's, let's, talk, let's turn it and let's talk about what he does not mean. Um, ways that I think we do actually take this out of context and use it for our own benefit. Number one, he doesn't mean uh, this to be like a manipulative practice for Christians. Um, he doesn't, it doesn't say do unto others um, in order that you may get them to do unto you. Don't do unto someone else just so you can at some point in that right moment strategically Turn it around on them and say, do you see what I've been doing for you? Now, you haven't been doing that for me. So he's, he doesn't want us now to use this as a manipulative practice because actually that self-destructs the golden rule because we actually don't want others to do that to us. Amen? We don't want someone to use this as a manipulative practice. So that's not what he's getting. Another thing he's not getting at is this. He's not using this. We shouldn't use this in, in some kind of weird uh, form of retaliation. Let me give you an example. When I was a child, I walked like a child, talked like a child, but when I became a man, I put away a child. You know that verse? When I was a child, I did stupid things and I had stupid thoughts. Um, I still do, actually. <laughs> I uh, was hanging out with my neighbor. We walked down the street. We were... Uh, playing with this, this girl, I was probably like in third grade, and she kicked me in my shin, and it hurt. And she had like these pointy shoes on, like these dress shoes that these girls wear. I don't know if you guys wear them anymore, actually. It might have been back in like 1990, whatever year that was. And then she turns and she kicks my neighbor in a little more sacred place. So next day, I, I actually come across, third grade, I come across this verse. And this is how I read it. Since she did that to you, then she must want you to do that back to her. I literally, I thought that was like, I, I, I unlocked the key to religion, to the teachings of Christ. And in my evangelistic fervor, I went to my neighbor and I showed him Jesus' teaching, and I said, so this is what we need to do. We need to go back down the street and kick her. <laughs> so we walked down the street to kick her. I'm serious. Now, I didn't actually kick her, all right? 
conviction set in. God's Spirit spoke to me, and I didn't kick her. Mainly, I didn't want to hear it from my mom. But listen, guys, seriously, the, we, we, we take this and we use this in weird, selfish, sinful, fleshly ways. We take all of Jesus' teachings and we pervert it for our benefit. What Jesus is freeing us from here is a, a heart of retaliation. What he's freeing us from here is, is a heart of manipulation. And he's actually freeing us, look at it, he says, for this is the law and the prophets. He's freeing us to the law, to God's law. He's freeing us then, let me put it this way, to the very heart and intent of God. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So as we look at this as the heart, I want to look at uh, two basic principles that we kind of pull from here, two practical realities that we see in Jesus' teaching on, on fulfilling the law. On, uh, not, I shouldn't say, let me back up. I don't want to use that word fulfilling. Jesus fulfilled the law. On being obedient to the law. Two practical realities that we glean from this. Number one, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So he, he says here that we should start when, we, when we're going to interact with somebody, we should start with ourself and then move outward into others. So practically speaking, when you are going to engage with someone or interact with someone, instead of first starting with them, saying, what would they like? What do I think they would want me to do? What do they? No, he says, actually, start with yourself. Ask yourself, what would I want? What would I like? How would I like to be treated? And then we don't end there. We turn it around and we do it to them. So we say, okay, so now that is how I'm going to respond to my brother or sister. So we start with ourselves, asking ourselves, what do, we, do, you, do you enjoy people gossiping about you? No? Then don't gossip about them. Do you enjoy people critiquing your parenting? Then don't critique their parenting. Do you enjoy people uh, talking behind your back? Then don't talk behind their back. So we start with ourselves, and then we move into the other. And we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Pretty simple, right? The second practical reality is this. Second principle, we, should, uh, um, we don't just simply, how do I say this? We don't just simply uh, not do the things that we're not supposed to do. But rather, we are to actually do some things. Let me explain what I mean by this. Rabbi Hillel. Everybody say Hillel. He was a rabbi that lived uh, about a generation before Jesus. He died when Jesus was just a wee boy. Hillel quoted the golden rule and also said that this sums up the law. Uh, and he, but he put it in a negative sense. Let me read you Hillel's quote. He says, Whatsoever is hateful to thee, that you should not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. And the rest is an explanation of it. Go then and be perfect. So whatever is hateful, whatever you don't want people to do to you, then don't do. So you catch that negative right there? Do not do to them. So if you don't want people to steal from you, then do not steal from them. Do you see how that's a negative? You guys tracking with me here? Um, this is the danger when we approach God's law. 
to see it all as, as uh, in, in a sense of prohib- prohi- prohibitions. Things that you should not do. You should not steal. You should not murder. You should not covet. And then we're constantly saying, okay, what do I not do? What things are not, 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 not negative. This is the great danger when we face the law, when we come into the scriptures, that we just simply look for the nots. What Jesus is doing here, look at it. He's actually turning Hillel's statement, which was well known and loved. Jesus would have known, probably been taught as a child. He turns it and he puts it in a positive sense. It's not just the nots. But he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you. Those things that are undone. Do those things to others. Let me give you an example of this. It's not that we, it's not that we are prohibited from only uh, a life of stealing $100 bills out of people's pockets. We are, that, we are prohibited from that. Don't do that. All right, Not a good idea. But he's turning it in this positive sense. He's saying this. If, if there is a man walking down the street about a block ahead of you, and you actually see something fall out of his pocket, and by the time you get up to it, he's nowhere to be seen. Like, he's around the corner, he's gone. And you look down, and it's a $100 bill. And you pick it up. Now, culture would say... It's up to you as to what you want to do with it. Jesus says, this is, here's the law. Let me tell you the law of God. Ask yourself, if I dropped a $100 bill and didn't know about it, and somebody picked it up, what would I want that person to do? That's what we do. We start with ourselves, we ask ourselves that question, and then we turn and we do. And we chase that person down, tap them on their shoulder and say, you just dropped this. You see, friends, this is the heart of God. This is the spirit of all the scriptures, all of the law, all of the prophets. Why do we break God's law? Why do we covet? Why do we covet our neighbor's stuff? Why do we want our neighbor's house or their things, their, their couch? I want Erica's couch. Why do I covet Erica's couch? Yeah, everybody wants Erica's couch. I want all of her couches. I'm just playing. Why do we covet? Why do we lust after what is not ours? Why do we murder? Why do we hate? That's true. And I would put it this way. It's because... We don't do this. It's because we don't do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It is at the center, it is at the core of all of our sinful behavior and patterns. And we can only imagine how life would be transformed if we did do this. We can only imagine what marriages would look like if husbands said, do unto others as you would have them do unto Wives said, do unto my husband as he would have, do unto uh, whatever that tongue twister goes. Imagine how marriages would be transformed. Imagine what problems would instantly be alleviated in your life if we all just simply did 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. At work, in your job, imagine how this would change your practices in treating your coworkers, in doing your job, if you said, do unto others as I would, as I would want them to do unto me, including your boss. How would this change things? In our church, you know most problems that people have with church is what others did not do for them. They did not invite me over. Nobody spoke to me. Nobody invited me to their 4th of July celebration this last week. Nobody took me out to lunch. You see, guys, Jesus doesn't want us to be thinking like that. He wants us to turn that and say, okay, what would I like? I would like people to warmly welcome me, then I will warmly welcome others. I would like people to invite me out, so I will invite others out. The gospel of Jesus Christ drives us outside of ourselves. The theologian Michael Horton, he puts it this way. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ makes introverts extroverts. And what he means by that is this. Not that we just all love going to parties all the time. What he means by that is this. The gospel causes us to look at ourselves and then we don't, we don't end there. We don't stop there. What, what do I want others to do for me? We don't stop there. It turns and it, we, we then go outward into the lives of others. We're constantly moving into the lives of others. The gospel causes us, it forces us, it drives us into loving our neighbor as ourselves. Are we a church that practices Matthew chapter 7, verse 12? When, when, when you um, attend, are you glad that other people got up put their hair up, whatever you got to do to get ready, put clothes on, thank you, and came? Are you glad that others came? Well, good. Then do unto others as you would have them do to you and keep coming. I mean, simple things. When we sing songs together and participate in worship, are you glad to see other people participating? Then participate. Are you glad to see other people supporting the work of the ministry? Supporting the gospel preaching here, supporting uh, those who are poor, uh, those who have needs around this world, then support the work of God's ministry. You see, in every decision we face, in every aspect of life, we're first looking inward and saying, what do I want? And then we're going outward and saying, then I will be like that for others. Then I will do unto others in that same fashion. Are we a church that practices this? I hope we are becoming a church that practices this through the grace of God. And we should be. We should be salt and light. We should be beacons. We should be that that city on a hill that, 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 that the world looks at and is just simply amazed by. Look at how they treat others. I've never seen anything like that. We should be like this. Listen, the world wants to be like this. 
I mean, going back again, there's a, there's a lot of things that those who are outside of our faith, uh, that, that would be offensive to those outside of our faith. This is not one of them. The world wants to be like this. The world enjoys this statement. The world says, that's a pretty nice thing. Do unto others as you would have them do any? Good. Let's do that. I mean, if you guys just Google, try this this afternoon. Google the golden rule. You're not going to find everything that's just simply distinctively Christian. Um, so I Googled it, and all sorts of things came up. Different practices, different ways to be about the golden rule. Uh, I found a Zen blog, one of the top, top sites, on 18 uh, ways, 18 pointers on practicing the golden rule, including uh, the practice of compassion, emailing yourself reminders, using post-it notes, tying a string to your finger so you don't forget the golden rule, making it a mantra that you repeat to yourself over and over again. When we read history, we actually find the golden rule in all sorts of religions and philosophy. 2,000 years before Christ, the Chinese philosophers were teaching the golden rule in various forms. It was central to all Greek philosophy about 500 B.C. and before that. It's, it's a central theme in most of our world religions. and in, in fact, a bunch of world religions, including representatives from the, from the Christian faith, came together and they signed some documents saying, this is sort of like our central practice that we all uh, that we all agree on and that we all uh, sort of ties our faith together. The golden rule, including those that were present, were the Baha'i, Buddhist, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, Neopaganism, Taoism, Unitarian U- Universalism, I could go on. All would say the golden rule is, uh, in, in many ways, the essence of their religion. So let me just first put it this way. I want to I get to, here's where, here's where I want to go. What then is distinctively Christian about this? Anything? Is Jesus another wise sage among, among many? What is distinctively Christian about this? Before we get to that, though, let me ask, you, ask it in this way, or, or frame it in this way. Um, we, we've had this in various forms in humanity for thousands of years. Like, many, 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 many humans have had this before them at some point. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There are still people today who sort of champion and say, let's get behind it. Like, this, is, this, this can solve all of our problems if we just tie enough strings to our fingers and rem- we remember to do this. Then we will create peace and we will create all good things. Guys, we have had this in its various forms in various religions all over the world for thousands of years. Here's my question. What in the world is wrong with humanity? Like, if we have had this, okay, for a long time in a lot of different places, what's our problem? Like, we look around, we watch the news, and we're like, you know, it doesn't seem like we're getting any better. It doesn't seem like There's more people just championing the golden rule these days. What is our problem? What's wrong with humanity? With the recent sort of upsurge in violence in Baltimore recently, 
been asked, hearing people ask these questions. What's wrong? What is wrong with our sin? What's wrong with people? This last week, I sat in, uh, in a meeting with other community activists, and we were discussing education and city schools and the problem of parents not helping their kids with homework and not doing their part at home. And then somebody asked this question. Somebody said, what is the solution? And nobody said anything. You know why we don't know what the solution is? It's because we're not honest with what the problem is. The problem is something that activists won't admit. Politicians can't swallow. The problem sounds too negative. Yet friends, addressing, realizing the problem is our only hope to finding a solution. So what's wrong with humanity? Why have we had this for thousands of years in various forms? Let's look at it. Let's look at the text. Do unto others whatever you wish that others would do to you. Do also to them. Look at this. For this is the law and the prophets. Now that word for right there is a conclu- it's another conclusive word. If you were to look this up in, in, uh, in Greek uh, helps, study helps, what you would find is, is theologians of old would say that that word comes with a powerful sense of force. So there's a, there's a sense of conclusion here. For this golden rule is the law and the prophets. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying. The golden rule, it's not just simply advice to make life better. The golden rule isn't something that if we can tie enough strings around our fingers and don't forget, then we can somehow, together as a human community, reach a standard of higher living. That's not what Jesus is saying here. No, he's saying the golden rule, this, do this, for it is God's law. Now, what else do we know about God's law? Well, we saw in chapter 5 already, Jesus teaching on it, that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 22, the, the teachers of the day would love to sit around and discuss the law and ask each other, what's the greatest commandment, and try to stump each other. And, and they were blown away when they asked Jesus that question. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest commandment, okay? And then he throws this down. He says, for that, for this, is the law and the prophets. Love God and love your neighbor. It's another summary of the law. So it stands parallel with this summary. They, they mutually agree with each other and, and help one another. And that sounds nice as this. But then Jesus comes along and he says this, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Like he's trying them. What's the greatest, how do, how do I inherit the kingdom? How do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, love God with your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and you will inherit eternal life. Do this 
inherit eternal life, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do this, and you will live. For this is the law. You see, guys, the law sets for us the standard of God's holiness. And it says for us, if we, human beings, broken human beings, are to achieve this kingdom of God, here is our standard. This is our, these are our minimum requirements. Now, let's look at it. For this is the law and the prophets. What else is said about the law? Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul teaching on the law. Do you know what he says there? Let me read it. He says, chapter 7, he says, The very commandment that promised to produce life, it proved to produce only death for me. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying the commandments of God, the law, these very good things, do unto others as you would have them, do unto you. These things promise to produce life for us. They promise to produce good things for us. But what they produced for me, Paul is saying, before Christ was only death. Because when the standard of God's holiness was placed upon me, there was nothing I could do about it, and I was crushed under its weight. It only served, he says, to condemn me. Even Hillel, the ancient rabbi, says, do this and be perfect. What he's saying is, is, is this, if we do this, we are accomplishing the law. We're being completely obedient to the law, and we will then be perfect. Romans 7, he goes on. He says, the things that I want to do, I, the things that I have a desire to do, I do not have the ability to carry out. You see, guys, before Christ, and I want you to feel the weight of this, before Christ, the law was only condemning. It showed us God's way. It showed us the glory of God, the holiness of God, the beauty and the wonder of God. And as it was placed upon us, it only showed us how far we had fallen from the tree. It, it showed us how, 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 how lost we actually were. Those outside of Christ, listen, are still under the law. God's law has gone out to humanity. This right here, this is a command for those, for everybody. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Even the Zen guy on Google, he said, I fail at this daily. Friends, do you realize what that means? If this is God's law, if this is his standard for holiness, and we fail at it once, it doesn't mean good things for us. Um, uh, no, not, not to get us there, to show us that we can't get there on, on our own. All right, hold that thought. I would say this, there's one role model. There's one person who has fulfilled the law. Because actually what we see in the Old Testament are actually failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. What we see are people who did not fulfill the law. What we see is how the law crushed. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. It just crushed them. They, they were failures. They were guilty. 
And what we needed was one to come along who could. So what we see, friends, is that Jesus came along and he lived the law perfectly. Jesus loved uh, others as as he would love himself. Jesus did unto others as he would have them do unto him. Jesus is the only one who ever achieved the, the golden rule. You see, our, our, our problem isn't that we just need more pointers and help, um, motivational stories, strings on our finger to remind us the, the problem at the core of humanity, what, what activists and politicians really are just not willing to admit, is that the, the, the problem is that we are sinners. That we are broken. That we, in and of ourselves, have fallen so far from the tree. And the law, guys, it serves to show us that. What Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, the placement of this is so important. He comes along with yet another uh, summary statement of the law. Not as guilt uh, placed upon us, but to serve one more time as a, as a tool to knock down the self-righteous, to knock out our pride so that we may come into the kingdom poor in spirit, broken, in need of a Savior. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 is our help in this. It says this, When the time, or when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born, listen to this, under the law, under the demands of the law, under the requirements of the law, To redeem those under the law. So friends, if you are not in Christ this morning, you are under the demands of the law. You are under the requirements of the law. Christ came as one under the law to fulfill the law, to live the righteous life on your behalf so that he may redeem you from the requirements and from the discipline of the law. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sons. So listen, what is uniquely Christian about this? It is not just simply in the statement itself. We cannot, as Christians, friends, link arms with the entire world and say that with every religion that we all have this in common and so, yay, God, that's not Christian. We would walk away discouraged. We would walk away with a sense of being under the demands of the law. And our hearts would break for all of those who believe that they are accomplishing this and therefore earning the affirmation of God. There are two types of people. There is one who says, I can follow the golden rule and therefore God accepts me. I can love others as I love myself. I can do unto others as I w would want them to do to me and therefore God accepts me. 
And when he prays, he looks over and he sees the guy who is not following the golden rule. And he says, God, thank you for not making me like that person. And then there's that guy over there who's realized how selfish he has been. Realized that he has not loved his neighbor as himself. Realized that he has not done unto others only what he would want them to do to him. He hears the law and it hits him. It convicts him of, convicts him of his sin. It shows him how far he has fallen and he looks to Christ and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then God says, that man is counted as righteous. Why? Because in and of ourselves, we have all fallen short. Christ came. His righteousness was enough. When we sing that song, all I have is Christ, that's what we're singing. All we have, the righteousness we have, the good things that we have, it's only Christ. Like when I conquer a sin in my life, it's only because of Christ. All I have is Christ. All I have is His works. All I have is His righteousness. This is not for the self-righteous. It is for the spiritually broken, the bankrupt. It is for those of you who are burned out. It is for those of you who have been trying to earn the affirmation of God and you're tired. Jesus says, stop trying and look to me. I did on your behalf. So how then do we find strength to follow this command? We'll close with this question. Because as the law condemns us, as we find our life in Christ, we are then freed from the demands of the law and we are now freed also from the chains of sin and we're freed to finally follow and be obedient to God. So how then does Christ free us to be people that actually begin to reflect the golden rule? It's found in the order of that great command. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said two things, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The order was important. Jesus didn't say begin with trying to love your neighbor and then at some point love God. No, order is important. Love God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, practically speaking for us, they happen simultaneously. But we don't look to loving our neighbor. We look to God. How do we love God? We love God through being spiritually bankrupt, through not trying to be God, through not trying to do to do the things, to earn his acceptance. But we, we love God through Christ. We love God through seeing Christ as our fulfillment and falling into the grace of Jesus Christ. And what we find when we see Christ, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, central, to the teachings of the scriptures is that Jesus then frees us from our chains to ourselves, to pleasing ourselves, to our selfish, fleshly behaviors. As we recognize our helplessness, as we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
we are then at once justified. Everybody say justified. justified. We are made right before God. In, as our standing with Him is good. We get like an A plus because Jesus got an A plus. It was given to us. And not only that, but now every day that we live, the righteousness of Christ daily is sprinkled upon us As it says in Ephesians, transferring us from glory to glory, making us more and more every day like Jesus as his righteousness is distributed to us every day. We then are free to do what we previously were not able to do. Why? Because we now know the grace of God. We know now that God gave us what we did not deserve. We were broken. We had nothing and He gave us everything. And so now we can love our neighbors because they don't deserve it. But since we've been given what we don't deserve, we can extend that kind of love to another. We now know grace. And so we can now give grace to our neighbors. We now know true love. Love that laid down its life for another. And so now we can lay down our lives for our brothers, our sisters, our friends, and ladies and gentlemen, even our enemies. We can love because God first loved us. May you do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And when you do, every time, We are experiencing the grace of God in Christ, which is at work in us, which allows us to now do what is humanly unthinkable. Let's pray. Father, you are our God. You are our creator. You have given us the law, and we thank you for it because it has showed us our sin. God, before Before you gave us the law, we didn't even know that we were sinners. We just thought we had some problems. But as your your righteousness, your holy standard is placed upon us, we just we're crushed under it and we see, oh my goodness, we we need a savior. And Christ then, you showed us that He's come into this world under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law, so that we may be freed. God, thank you for imputing to us for giving us the gift of the righteousness of Christ on that day that we were saved when we were justified and made right in your eyes and then today and tomorrow and the next day as we experience your grace the sprinkling of his righteousness on us the sanctification of our souls as we are made more and more like our savior conformed to his image God, renew in us your love. Remind us of your grace so that we may love, so that we may extend grace, so that we may do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. No who are thirsty All who are weak 
through the fountain Dip your heart in the streams of life Let the pain and the sorrow Be washed away The waves of His mercy His deep calls out to deep we sang, come Lord Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus, come, Jesus, come, come Lord Jesus, come. stand together. We're going to take a time of communion this morning, and as we just moved into this room, we're going to kind of try to figure out how to do communion. Just kind of make your way up and, um, and uh, take the elements. Uh, com- communion is an opportunity for us to uh, examine our hearts, examine ourselves, to look inward. Um, we are reminded as we take these elements, we are reminded of the gospel, that, that it was through the blood of Christ shed on the cross that we find forgiveness. It was through his body broken. Listen, the perfect unbroken body that fulfilled the law, broken, so that we may have his righteousness. That's the gospel. And he's leading us to become a people conformed to his image in which one day we will stand with all of the saints in all of history and see Christ and forever cry out, behold our God. That is the gospel. We're reminded of that as we come and we take these simple elements, the bread and the juice. Before we come, uh, examine yourselves. This is for those in community with the saints. This is for those who have... uh, found their, their, their life in Christ, who have accepted this good news, received Christ as their Lord. If there is uh, hatred in your heart toward another, if there is animosity in your heart toward God, take a moment before you come and repent. Place your junk on the Christ and come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift that we have of the Lord's Supper. We do ask that as we come to the table that you remind us of the gospel in a very intimate way. And Lord, as we come, I pray that you show us the gospel. This this drama of, of taking these elements and putting them inside of us reminds us that our only nourishment is Christ. Not the actions that we do, not not trying to follow the commands. Our only nourishment is Christ. It's Christ that we eat. It is Christ that we drink. Remind us of that as we come to the table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.